0: Beautiful friends, welcome to the Elemental Entrepreneurship Podcast, where we discuss the earth, air, fire, water, and spirit elements of building a thriving and successful creative business and life. I'm your host, Sarah. And hi, it's been a minute. It's been a little bit. Um, sorry for the delay in episodes. Um, the last time I made an episode, I was sharing with you that the Elemental Entrepreneurship Coven, my new membership program for Elemental Entrepreneurs, um, was open. And since then, the doors have closed. And so we had a lot going on here behind the scenes with getting all of the amazing new coven members onboarded and making sure everyone has everything they need and plenty of attention. And also in that time, I had a birthday and I went out of town for a few days and then I had to come back and get Get back into life. You know how that is when you have to reintegrate yourself into the person shaped hole you left behind for a few days. Um, so yeah, life has just been lifing and, uh, and now we're back from outer space. Um, but while I was gone, I have had so many ideas for things that I want to talk about and places I want to go on this podcast. And so I have a big list. Um, and I'm also really excited because I feel like the coven itself is such a font of cool ideas and amazing conversations. And so some of the conversations I'm having with the entrepreneurs in that group are, um, you know, getting my gears turning about things that I want to dive into here on the podcast. And, um, one such conversation is one that I actually have pretty regularly and I've, I've had it with myself in my head. I still have it sometimes. And it's the idea. People can't afford my work. People can't afford my products. People can't afford my service. Maybe This is too expensive for people. I'm afraid to charge what I really need to charge, honestly, because people won't be able to afford it. If I charged what I'd really like to charge for this work, people wouldn't be able to afford it. I would price people out. And if that's a thought you've had, a fear you've had, a concern you've had, then hang out and listen, because that's really what I want to kind of address today. I've been thinking about this idea a lot. And first of all, I want to say that the fear that you're going to price people out is beautiful, right? It just, it comes from love. It comes from generosity. Many of the people that I work with and I myself have had this, this feeling that like the people we want to serve most and the people that we want to work with, um, may be going through financial hardship. They may be from historically marginalized communities. They may, um, be maybe their parents, right? Maybe your demographic is I like working with brand new parents. And so you're like already thinking, well, these people don't have a lot of time and they don't have a lot of money. Um, right. There are so many reasons why the ideal, who you think of as the ideal person for your product or service, um, is somebody who might not be able to pay a lot of money for something that's a quote unquote extra, but there's already so much just in that, right? You thinking of your work as a luxury, as an extra. Maybe it is, right? Maybe it isn't. We don't really get to say what's a luxury and what's an extra or what's a necessity for someone else. Um, I mean, I'm sure there are things we can all agree are, are luxuries, right? Like no one needs necessarily like a luxury handbag. Um, But especially with service-based work, thinking of our... Our work as a an extra thing that someone doesn't really need that they're not going to they're not going to prioritize in their life as something that they really need in a way that would have them spend money on it the same way they spend money on literally everything the fuck else in life um, already there's some stuff in there about what we think our work is that that might need some examining, but I want to move into the idea of the difference between worth, value, and price. And you've probably maybe heard me talk about this a little bit before if you've been around for a while, but it's something that I reiterate all the time and I have to reiterate to myself all the time. Frequently in capitalism, we use the words worth, value, and price interchangeably, but those are not the same thing. They're not the same concept. They don't carry the same weight. And we might use those words interchangeably without realizing that they kind of hit different emotional buttons inside us especially worth and price. Those are very different concepts that we frequently conflate inside ourselves. So I want to start by saying that I'm going to make the assumption that your work is well-priced, right? So when I say well-priced or like well-placed in the market, that to me doesn't mean that it's a made up arbitrary number. It's not a super inflated number. It's not even necessarily what the market will, will bear. In my system of capitalist critical pricing, your pricing is based upon what it costs you to do the work. Um, so that can include um, what it costs you in supplies, right? What your business costs to run, but it can also include how much time you have available to work um, and how much time you have available to do your work in a sustainable way, which is really the main focus of, um, of Earth element. How do we create a business that's sustainable long term, a relationship to our bodies and to our labor that is not extractive? And so how much time I have to do my work is predicated on how much downtime do I need? How much time off do I need to be healthy? How much morning time do I need to do the things that I want to do for myself, my body, my mind in the morning? How much time do I need to spend with my family? How much time do I have to have available uh, for my social commitments or maybe like church commitments? Right? Like what are all of the things that I do to be a healthy person? And then what's left over is what goes to work as opposed to like everything goes to work and the rest of my life is shoved into the corners. I I don't believe you need to do that in your own business, right? If you wanted to do that, you could just have a fucking nine to five. You could just have a job. But if you're going to go through all of the trouble of creating a company and working for yourself, why wouldn't we structure it from the beginning with the assumption that you're building a life and a lifestyle that you want to live. And your business is part of that. So when I'm coming up with how many hours do I have available to work, I'm looking at my entire ecosystem and coming up with, okay, that means I really have four hours a day, five days a week that I'm that I want to work. And I'm just making that number up. That's what I have available between you know, my family and taking care of myself and taking care of my body and my health and my other social commitments, caretaking obligations, blah, blah, blah. I have four hours, five days a week. So if I have four hours, five days a week, that's what I have available. And then my life costs this much between my rent or my mortgage, my bills, my car, like food, um, being comfortable being able to have, you know, Netflix and Order Grubhub sometimes, go out to dinner once in a while, like live a life. this is what my life costs, this is how many hours I have, based on that little math problem, I can figure out this is what my shit needs to cost, So assuming that you are priced in a pretty well placed position that's just like this is what I need to earn to survive in in the world um I'm starting from the assumption that your work is well priced well placed um is positioned in a way that you know how much you can give and what it costs you to give it. And the prices that you've created are about maintaining and sustaining a healthy life for yourself. Starting there. If that's not the case, grab Elemental Entrepreneurship Earth and work through uh, the sustainability modules and your budget. So, You have this price that you've set for your work, maybe for a few different pieces of work that you do for a couple of different offerings. And you know how many you need to sell a month, a year, a quarter to pay your bills, take care of yourself, for your business to thrive, for you to be healthy. First of all, let's be clear that that's just what business is. I feel like sometimes the very foundation of this is being uncomfortable charging money at all. Businesses charge money for things. That's not weird. (laughs) And it, it might feel silly to reiterate this, but like if there's anything in you that just feels straight up weird about charging money for stuff, it's important to look at why then is this a business and not a hobby? If you feel strained charging money for your work, you could potentially just have a job and do this thing as a hobby. You don't have to charge money for it. If you're choosing to go into business, that inherently means that businesses sell stuff. That's what they do. It is the nature of the game. It is the definition of the task. Businesses sell things. Now that's also different than you sell things, right? Or you sell yourself. And so it may be helpful if that's um, someplace you still have a little catch inside you to shift to the position not of I sell things or I need people to buy. I need people to give me money so that I can do what I want to do is a very different proposition than this is a business and businesses sell things. And everyone understands that businesses sell things. Anyone following you, looking at you, who knows you, who thinks it's weird or inappropriate for businesses to sell things. They don't, that's made up. No one, no one thinks that everyone understands that businesses sell things. That's not, no one thinks that except for us when we're in our head and feeling weird about charging for our work. Um, so there may be a little bit in there about like, do I believe that this is a business? Do I feel comfortable, um, saying This is a business, right? And my business has to sell things to be a business. If I'm not selling anything, my business cease to exist. So there may be a little inner work to do, even just around the idea that I own a business and businesses sell things. And the way that that might feel a little texturally or energetically different than I need people to give me money so that I can keep doing the work I want to do. It's really not about you. So much of the shit is not about us. And like, that takes a, a, a minute to, to really wrap ourselves around because it's so personal to us. But then when we shift to remembering that like our business isn't actually about us, it's about our customers and the people that we serve and the people who will benefit from the work that we're doing um, and them making a decision about whether or not they want to buy this product or service for their life. They're not thinking about us. No one's giving us money as a favor so that we can be happy. That's not what's happening in a business transaction. That person is deciding on their own for themselves. Will buying this product or service benefit me? And if they believe that buying your product or service will benefit them, they're going to pay for it because that's the way we have this exchange set up. If they don't believe your product or service will benefit them, they're not going to pay for it. But none of their decision-making factors are really about you or giving you money so that you can keep doing the work you love to do. They really ain't thinking about you that much. No one is thinking about us that much. It's not a favor. That was also an area that I really had to stretch was I noticed at one point that I felt when I was selling stuff, like I was asking people to give me money. And I want to also say that some of that is also because we love our work so much that we're like almost a little shocked that people would pay us to do it. And that comes from starting a business based off your passion. You're like, really? You're going to give me money to do this thing that I would do for free that I love doing so much? Are you sure? But the other person is not experiencing it that way. The other person is experiencing, oh my gosh, this person has a product or a skill set that I don't have. And I can trade them money to give it to me. Thank God. Cause I need this thing in my life. So that's a little emotional maturity, right? Of us like um, recognizing and understanding that our emotional experience of doing our work is not other people's experience of paying for our work. And we might love it. It might come really naturally to us. We might feel like, Oh my God, I would do this for free. And the other person's experience is not that at all. It's, I would pay someone to help me with this because I really don't want to do it myself. Or like, I would pay for a product that does this because I really need this. They're always, only, ever making a purchasing decision from the position of, do I believe that this will benefit me? That's why we buy things because we believe that the thing will benefit us. So there's a little thing to pull apart, right? No one's giving us money. It's not a favor. It's not a loan. It's not because they pity us. If they're buying something from a business, it's because they believe that this product will help them. This service will help them. It will benefit them in some way that they are willing to put a monetary value on. Which leads us very well into worth, value, and price. The price of something is inert. It is just a number. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have a moral value. It's just math. The price is the price. We assign a lot of stories about worth and value to prices. We look at the price of something, and we have an internal conversation about whether or not we believe that the thing we're looking at is quote-unquote worth the price that's put on it. And the measure of how much we believe something is worth is a reflection of our values, not the value of the product. It is actually the measure of our values, the value we assign to this object or this service. I'm going to try to break that down a little deeper because I know that that's like a, a, maybe a lot to think about. The price means nothing, right? So this water bottle that I love, my giant gallon jug of water that I carry around with me all the time, costs $30. When I was looking for water bottles on the internet, I saw this one. It was $30. And I was like, oh, that's a little expensive. And then I looked around and saw that most water bottles were around that price point if they were this kind of water bottle. And I went, okay, I guess that's pretty much the going rate. And so is it worth it to me? to spend $30 on a bottle of water or on a bottle for water. And I was like, Oh, I don't know. It seemed kind of expensive. I you know, maybe I don't want to spend that much. Well, okay, if this is what it costs, then right now, now I get to start being selective as a consumer, I want it to be pretty, I want it to have a wrist strap, I care about what kind of little spout it has for sipping, so I don't spill water all over myself. What is the lid like? What are the reviews like? What colors do I like? Right now, I'm into a place of like, if I have to spend this amount on this thing, I want to customize it, I want to make sure it's exactly what I want for my little consumer experience. And then I decide, okay. This is worth $30 and I'm going to pay it. I could have easily decided it is not worth $30 to me to have this type of water bottle. I do not value it this much. I would rather keep doing what I used to do and have a mason jar that I fill up five times a day and like a little tick mark where I try to keep track of whether or not I've had a gallon of water. I could keep doing that indefinitely. It's fine but I decided it's worth it to me the time I'm going to save from having to fill up my water bottle multiple times throughout the day. The time I'm going to save is worth it to me knowing that I can easily track whether or not I've had a gallon a day. This is worth it to me. And so I'm willing to pay that price. None of that had anything to do with the manufacturer of the water bottle pricing the water bottle correctly. It was a completely internal debate that I went through about worth And how much I value this thing? Is it worth it to me to pay this money? If someone doesn't value your offer at the rate you have it priced. So you say working with me one-on-one for six months is $15,000. That's what it costs. It's $2,500 a month for six months. That's what my one-on-one coaching offer currently costs. So that's what I'm sharing. This is what the price is. The price is the price. I came to this price through my own life math. This is what it costs me to give. I only take five clients at a time. This is how it works. This is what I need to charge to do this work. And somebody says to me, that's too expensive. That doesn't mean that I am not worthy of being paid that much. It also doesn't mean that my offer isn't worth that much. That's not what it means. It means this particular person in this moment does not have a value system that aligns with my brand position. That's what it means. You don't value this offer enough to pay what the price is. Now, you might value, you might, this this customer might be like, oh, I think it's worth it. I would pay it. Right now, I can't. That's fine. That also doesn't mean that I'm not worth my price or that my price is wrong. It is not the right match for this particular customer in this moment. And that's okay. What I want to kind of touch on Is what happens when someone says I can't afford it and you as a service provider, as the owner of the business react with fear that perhaps you have done something wrong or gotten something wrong, that you go into a place of fearing that this person not being able to afford my work means that I am not worth my rate, that my offer isn't worth the rate that I've gotten it all wrong and no one will be able to afford this and no one will value my work at the rate that I think it's worth. And my business is going to fail. Right? So are we taking one person's, I can't afford it into a story that says no one can afford this. My pricing is all wrong. Everyone who sees my rates and my work is looking at it and laughing and thinking this person is off their rocker. If they think anyone is ever going to pay this much for that, they are nuts. No one's ever going to pay it. Is that where we go inside? Do you go to a place that says this is confirmation that I'm not worthy? I'm not worthy of making money, doing the work I love. The work I love is not worth anything to anyone. And therefore I am a fraud and a failure and this business will not work. And they know better than I know what my work is worth. And they are just confirming to me my biggest fear that my work is worth nothing. That my labor, my time, my expertise, my ideas, my skill set, they are worth nothing. And they can see it and I can't. Is that what we're hearing when someone says, I can't afford it? Because if that's what we're hearing, it has nothing to do with the price. It has nothing to do with the other person. We're going into our own story about worthiness. And that's why worth, value, and price are very, very different concepts, right? Are we starting to feel this, how different emotionally they are? Our stories about worthiness. Do I deserve to make money from my gift skills and talents? Am I worthy of being financially supported doing work I love? That's one set of emotional and intellectual concepts that are trapped under the word worth. What is this worth worth and worthy get tangled up? Is this priced appropriately is a completely separate conversation from, am I worthy of being paid for my work? Is this work valuable to someone is also a completely different conversation than am I valuable Are my gifts, skills, and talents valuable in the world? That's very different from, does this person value what I'm offering enough to pay what I need to earn to eat food? All of these are different conversations that get lumped together in a way that sometimes can make it very difficult for us to recognize that we think we're having a pricing problem, But what we're actually having is an emotional issue, a water issue. We're having self-doubt around whether or not we deserve to make a good living doing work we love. We're experiencing some, maybe some spirit problem, right? Some doubt around whether or not there are people out there who will value us. And there are people out there who will value our work enough to pay for it. And this one person saying that they don't is making us lack belief that anyone ever will. So maybe we have like a water spirit conundrum here, but it's showing up as an earth fire problem. We're thinking, oh, I must have priced this wrong. Maybe I need to lower my prices. Maybe I need to add more bells and whistles to this service in order to make people value it more. I have to convince them that it's worth more. right? Or or we have a thing of, it's a water problem of I show up with the energy that if you pay me, you're doing me a favor, which is not inspiring confidence in consumers that this is going to benefit them. And so it's not landing or connecting that this is something that's going to benefit them and change their life. And so they're not buying, but I'm taking that kind of energetic mismatch to mean they can see through me and tell that I'm not worthy and that I'm not good enough. See how those things get tangled. Now I want to also think about how the phrase my people can't afford my work And I've said this, right? I've been like, oh, but my people can't afford it. If this is what my prices are, I'm scared because the people I want to work with can't afford it. That's a little weird. Because then why are those your people? And I I know that sounds flippant. And I'm going to kind of like dig into this a little more because there are financial realities and demographic realities. And then there's the, the, the story. And they're a little bit, conflated. Sometimes they have been for me. So the phrase, my people can't afford this is really strange because if we were to dig into why, why would I say my ideal client can't afford my work? That doesn't sound very ideal to me. So if that is true, if it's true that your ideal client can't afford your pricing, you may have an offer pricing problem, or you may have a demographic problem. And so I want to like talk about that a little bit, because there's a difference between projecting and mind reading a financial reality onto people and understanding the demographic of your target market. So as you know, if you're here, my, one of my main demographics that I work with um, and love working with and is a passion for me to work with is artists, creatives and healers at the beginning stages of their business or who are financially struggling uh, and trying to shift from like a freelance DIY hustler into having a company. I know those people ain't got money. I was those people. I have been those people for the majority of my life. I have been in community with those people. The majority of my life, I definitely understand the financial and demographic reality of that target market. And so I have spent a lot of time, a lot of time, and a lot of effort in my business, problem solving around how do I make very valuable, high level coaching available to a demographic that I know does not have a lot of disposable income. Now, I have to charge something and what I'm going to charge is probably going to be a little bit of a stretch in the same way that when you're in that financial reality, literally everything is a little bit of a stretch. I understand that. And that puts a fire under me to make sure that I'm providing the most value value I possibly can to those people to help shift their financial reality as quickly as possible so that I can make this money that they're investing with my business so worth it. See that? So worth it. Now it might be a little scary for them to make the investment, right? For some people, I know the coven at 268 bucks a month is a big stretch and they're scared And I, I know when I first invested in my first business coaching year long business coaching program, that was a couple hundred bucks a month. It was the biggest stretch I could afford at the time. And so what makes this worth it, this investment worth it is if you get in and you are given such valuable information and such valuable support that you implement it and it changes your financial reality and you make all of the money you've invested back and then some, and you change, you completely change your demographic profile based on the work that you did in this container worth it. hundred percent. Now, a lot of times, again, on what makes something worth it, think about our own experiences as a consumer. What makes something worth the money we spent is what we feel we got out of it. I have gotten tremendous value from coaching. And so now, even when it feels like a financial stretch to me to invest in someone or something to invest in a coach, to invest in a coaching program, to join a mastermind, um, I'm not as scared to do it anymore because I know I have demonstrated a history in my life of how much value I receive from coaching, from life coaching and from business coaching. I comfortably spend a lot of money on myself really on my brain. And I don't spend a lot of money on um, going to bars. There's not an area in my life I spend a lot of money. Going on trips, not an area in my life I spend a lot of money. Clothing, not an area in my life I spend a lot of money. My car, not an area of my life I spend a lot of money. I don't place a high value on those things. I place a very high value on my brain on my personal development. And so it's always worth it to me to invest money in myself, in my emotional growth, my personal growth, my spiritual growth, my business growth. That's an area that I spend a lot of money and in my life place a high value. So I know from my own experience that what makes investing in coaching or even therapy worthwhile to me, a worthwhile investment is how much value did I get out of that experience? So when I'm putting together coaching programs for people in a demographic that I know don't have a huge amount of money, I'm balancing this equation of back to the math problem of my life. What does my service cost me to give? I know that everyone in my business can't be a one-on-one client if I want to serve the demographic I want to serve. If I want to serve artists and creatives and healers at the beginning stages of business success where they're not making a lot of money, I cannot charge them $2,500 a month. They simply do not have it. What I can do is go to the drawing board and come up with a way That I can reach those people and honor my time and my expertise and create something that is going to give them a high amount of value, help them change their financial reality, help them change their lives at a price point that they can afford. Now, that's probably not going to be one-on-one, right? I'm going to have to create a group experience where I can get a lot of uh, people in paying a lower rate to get this information and work with them a different way. That's me looking at the demographic reality of a portion of my ideal client avatar and coming up with offers that I can price in such a way that I can earn what I need to earn to live and run my business. And they can... They can't afford it, right? They can stretch to afford it. Even if it feels like a stretch, my ideal client for this offer is someone who can come up with a couple hundred bucks a month to be in it. That's part of what makes them ideal for this offer is that even if it's a stretch, it's worth it to them. They're going to get in and they're going to get a tremendous amount of value out of it. They're going to feel This is worth it to me. I want to stay in here and keep paying this couple hundred bucks a month because I'm growing so much by being here and it's changing my financial reality. The things that I'm learning and implementing are changing my life, my mindset, my business, my bank account. Boom. That is a great offer priced well. There are still people who told me I can't afford that. It didn't mean the offer is priced incorrectly. It means it's not right for this person at this moment. That's okay. They may come back later and decide they are willing to move some things around, which is usually what needs to happen. Now, not for everyone, but for a lot of us, it's really a matter of like, I'm going to have to move some things around to make this possible, but I could make it possible if I decided that I valued it enough. That's up to them. Trusting other adults to have autonomous financial decisions is a big part of business, right? And that's another topic I want to talk about, that the no and the yes have the same weight. My desire for my customer is that they make the best decision for themselves. And I trust them as an adult to understand their life, their bills, their values, where they're at, what they can invest in and what they can't. And I want them to make the best decision for themselves, whether that's investing in my product or not. And so if they give me an empowered, no, I'm just as happy for them. And for me, as if they give me an enthusiastic, yes, consent is an amazing thing. I want that for them. I want that for them. I want them to be able to say, I would love to do this, but I can't make it happen for myself financially right now, maybe at a later date. And I'm like, that's great for you that you figured that out. Means nothing about me. The ideal client for this offer looks at it and says, this may be a stretch, but this is so worth it to me right now that I will do it. I am happy to pay it. Now, my one-on-one offering, right? $15,000 for six months, $30,000 a year to work with me one-on-one. That is a higher ticket offering. And so I know that what that means is that the person signing up for one-on-one, they, A, are already in business, have been in business for a while, and we're not working on the beginning stages of business. We're working on up-leveling their business. We're working on pivoting their business. We're working on, um, you know, doing mindset or emotional work in their business. There's something else that we're doing together, but we're not starting usually. Or... They're coming from having a day job. They have disposable income at a high level. They are starting their business while also collecting a paycheck, usually from some higher level corporate that happens. Another is they have a nest egg or a spouse or some savings that they're working off of. They've been stacking cash. Um, they have received settlement money. They have a trust, right? Where they're like, okay, I have this money and I'm going to use it to launch my business, and they're investing from that position. The person who's coming to me for one-on-one is in a financial reality where that investment makes sense for them. I'm not trying to push a $15,000 package to someone who's making $1,000 a month. That would be a mismatch, right? Right again, doesn't mean the pricing is wrong. It simply means the demographic of person that my $15,000 package is for. The financial reality of the person my $15,000 package is for is not the demographic or financial reality of the person my $268 a month offer is for. Now, the great thing is they can become the same person. My goal is that the person who starts in the coven could work their way up Easily to being like, okay, now I'm in business. I'm pulling in 10 bands a month and I'm going to hire you for a six month retainer for $15,000 to really take this business to the next level, get my systems locked in, get a team underneath me, get solidified. And in six months from now, I'm going to be leaving this coaching program and moving on to something else in a much different financial reality than I started. That is the goal. If, If that's the goal of how I've designed my offerings, I would love everyone who starts coming to $39 a month workshops and $268 a month coven to work their way into being able to work with me one-on-one. I would love it for anybody who buys the elemental entrepreneurship course DIY and does it on their own for 2,500 bucks to come out of that with a business that's running, that's making them money so that the business could pay for additional coaching if that's what they want, whether it's from me or from someone else. So the reason I share this is to illustrate that understanding the demographic reality of your target market of your ideal client and creating an offer that is priced and structured appropriately for where that person is at is also a totally separate conversation from people can't afford my work. If the people you are pointing your offer at really cannot afford it. You have an offer and pricing problem or you have a demographic targeting problem. You need to point that offer somewhere else. And I wanted to give the both. And because I think that's what makes a lot of my people and like the people that I work with really unique is that we genuinely want to work with people who might not have a ton of disposable income. And there is a way to do that in your product suite. There's a way to design your business in such a way that you have some higher priced offerings that are pointed at a specific demographic and some lower priced offerings that are pointed at another demographic that do not compete with each other or devalue each other, but rather are designed to meet your customers where they're at. There are people who make a lot of money who don't have the thing that you're giving, right? So say you offer a spiritual service. There are people out there with a tech day job pulling in multiple six figures a year where they have tons of disposable income. What they don't have is the spiritual guidance that you offer in your in your work. And they're happy to trade their disposable income for your skill set there are people out there who can afford it and we want some of those people. And then there are also people that we might want to work with who um, are a single parent working two jobs. And we still want to be able to serve them. Maybe we have like a really special place in our heart for single parents working two jobs because we were in that position or our mom was in that position. And so we want to also create an offering that's for that person They may not be the same offering, but there is a way that inside our business, we can create offers for multiple different demographic financial realities, people who are at different ends of the spectrum and price our work appropriately for those different people. That's a business math problem that again has nothing to do our worth or the value of our work. It's simply our desire to price our products and services in such a way that certain people who may not historically have been able to access our work are able to access it because that's an, a value for us. That's an important thing for us as part of our value system. But what really is usually coming up when somebody is saying people can't afford my work is none of this. It's not, I've done a tactical scan of the demographics of my target market and I've figured out how to price things appropriately for them. It's not, I have an offer pricing problem. If this is the demographic I want to work with, I have to figure out a way to price an offer that they can afford. It's usually actually a mindset or belief problem that the idea that my people can't afford this is actually masking all of that self-worth stuff around the idea that no one, that that's the fear. No one is going to value my work in such a way that they will pay money for it. No one thinks it's worth it to pay me for my gift skills and talents. No one's going to buy this. That's usually what is underneath. If you were to scratch at my people can't afford this. It's not a dispassionate, simple business math problem. It's not a, are we targeting the right customers problem? It's usually hiding a set of tangled up fears and beliefs around our worth. And so I want you to do a little journaling. If this has been resonant for you around the following questions, Are you attaching your personal worth, your worth as a person, your worth as an artist, your worth as a healer, your worth and your value as a service provider, as a product maker, as an artist, as a human being, your worth and your value? Are you attaching whether or not you are good, good at what you do or just good as a person to whether or not someone buys from you? Are you attaching your worth to whether or not someone buys? Are you attaching your value to whether or not someone buys? Are you attaching the idea of whether or not you are good enough to whether or not someone buys? Journal on that. Next thing to journal on is if someone says, I can't afford that right now this looks good, but I can't afford it. Thank you so much. Do you move into fear that maybe you're doing something wrong? If someone says, this looks good, but I can't afford it right now. Do you have a sinking feeling that this is a fortuitous moment that's telling the future of your business that no one is going to buy from you? If they say, I can't afford it right now. This looks good, but I can't afford it. Do you have a sinking feeling that they know something you don't? That they see your deepest fear, that you're a fraud? That your work is really not worth this much and they know it and you don't? Next set of questions. What changes in your life and in your business if you believe that Other people deciding not to buy from you has nothing to do with you, has nothing to do with your worth, has nothing to do with your value. It has nothing to do with the worth of your product or service. It has nothing to do with the value of your product or service. It is simply another autonomous adult making an empowered decision about how they spend their money. What if you want that for them? What changes in your life and your business? If you want people to make empowered choices with their money, even when that means they do not buy from you, what changes in your life and your business? When you trust other people to know the best financial decision for them in the moment. And you want that for them even if it means they don't buy from you right now. What changes in your life and your business when you trust that other people making empowered financial choices not to buy from you is not an indication that your work is priced incorrectly or that no one will buy from you. It is simply that person making that choice in that moment and you're happy for them. We're neutral about it if you can't be happy for them. What changes in your life and in your business if you amend your ideal client profile to include that this person can comfortably afford your services or your product? Whatever this ideal client of yours is for me, right? Artists, creatives, and healers at the beginning stages of their business who can comfortably afford $268 a month. Or even if it is a little stretch, they see the value in it enough that they're willing to do it and happy to do it. Feel like it's worth it to them. That's a very different feeling than my ideal client can't afford my work. No, my ideal client is this type of person going through this experience who can comfortably afford my services and thinks that it's worth it. What changes in your life and your business? If you believe that your ideal clients see the value of your work and do not regret paying what it costs to get it. What changes in your life and in your business? If you amend your ideal client avatar profile to include that your ideal client, your ideal client, your soulmate client, your dream client, your dream customer sees the value of your product or your service. And they don't regret paying what it costs to get it at all. Journal on those things. Think about them. I'd love to hear the answers. One thought that I had when I was thinking about this, and I was supposed to say it earlier, but I just remembered it. so I'm saying it now because Mercury and Gemini um, is Tesla, right? Or like Lamborghini. If somebody walks into Tesla and they say this car is too expensive, Tesla does not worry that they priced their product incorrectly. They're just like, Okay. Have a nice day. You can come in. You can look at them. You can touch them. You can see them on the road. You are clearly not the ideal client for this product. We're not worried that perhaps we've priced our cars incorrectly. That's not a thing. If you walk into a store and you see an outfit you like, and you look at the price tag and you go, whoa, this is too expensive. There's no way I would ever buy this. They don't lower the price. They don't get scared that perhaps the pricing is incorrect. They're just like, okay, have a nice day. You can try it on. You can touch it. You can look at it. But somebody's going to come in here and buy this damn outfit. And we're not worried about it. People come in and out of the store all day. And they touch the clothes and they look at shit and they leave without buying anything. Happens all the time. The store stays open. Everything's fine. People who work at the store feel very neutral about someone coming in and remarking, oh my God, I can't believe this dress is $100. I would never buy this. They're like, okay. Because the next person who comes in might blow a grand. They're not attached to people's reactions to the price because they understand that people's reactions to the price are just that that person's reaction. Doesn't mean that they need to take all the clothes back to the company and say, we need to reprice all of these. That's not what's happening. Somebody's going to buy it. What changes in us when we start to believe that other people's reactions to our pricing are just that their reaction, somebody's going to buy it might not be this person. This person might not be the right fit, but somebody's going to buy it. If I'm persistent, if I'm solid in my belief that I know my work, I know it's valuable. It's priced correctly, or at least where it needs to be priced for me to live. I understand that. I have a business and businesses sell things. Somebody's going to buy this. How different does that feel than being trapped in the drama of, well, I'm trying to make money, but my, my people can't afford my work. What do we get out of staying there? What does that belief do for us? How does it protect us? Things to think about. All right. I've rambled for a long time. I'm recording this on a Sunday and it's sunny outside. So I'm going to go lay outside in the sunshine and read my book. But I hope that this was beneficial for you. If it was, I would love to hear about it. If you journal the answers to those questions and you want to share them with me, you can do that. You can email me intuitiveedgecoaching at gmail.com. I'd love to hear about your answers. Um, You can also DM me on Instagram, shoot me a voice note, talk to me about it. I love hearing from y'all. So I hope that this was valuable for you. Hope you enjoyed it.